Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Anything I say is going to be a letdown. (laughs) But you know what? That's what we are about. We want you to know Jesus. The half-brother of Jesus, James, wrote the epistle of James that we have in the New Testament. You'll open your Bibles there. I know that he's already been talking about counting it all joy when you fall into various trials and tests, knowing that it's going to produce patience and help us mature. And then he says, if you, if you need wisdom during that time, you ask for it. And wisdom is actually applying God's truth to everyday living. And now he begins to get very specific. Look at verse 9. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation. Because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. For sooner, for no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. When I was a teenager, barely a teenager, I had a moped. A moped. Some of you don't even know what a moped is. It's actually supposed to be, it's, it's really just a bicycle with a little engine on it, but it kind of looks like a motorcycle. It's got pedals, and you have to pedal it to start it. And usually when I was going uphill, I had to pedal it to go uphill because the motor wasn't stout enough to get me up the hill. And going downhill with a West Texas wind behind your back, you might get up to 35 miles an hour, maybe. It's just a silly old story, but a man on a moped was stopped at a traffic light. Well, a young man in a brand new Corvette convertible pulled up beside him. The man on a moped was admiring this Corvette convertible, and, and the driver said, hey, would you like to see inside? And he leaned over and he opened the door, and the man was looking inside. Well, about that time, the light turned green, and The young man in the Corvette thought he'd show out a little bit, and he put it in first gear and took off at a high rate of speed. And in a moment, the man on the moped went right by him. The guy couldn't believe it. He put it in second gear, and he passed him again. And in a moment, the moped came by him again. This time, he put it in third and fourth, and he got up there, and and the moped passed him again. And he got so frustrated, he just stopped the car, and the man on the moped turned around came back and crashed into the car. The man in the Corvette got out and said, sir, are you okay? And he said, yeah, I'm okay. He said, is there anything I can do for you? And he said, yes, open your door and unhook my suspenders. <laughs> Told you it was corny. That's probably all you're going to remember today. You ever felt like that? I mean, life's just zinging you back and forth. You're hung on, hanging over, dear life. 
James is beginning to talk to us specifically now about applying God's wisdom to handling the best and worst of times is what I call it. Now, I know he's dealing with some financial things here, but actually some of the worst times of your life may have had to do with some financial issues. And some of the best times of your life might be when you've got enough money to pay everything and you think, I've got it made now. Really and truly, there's two sides to this coin today. Let's first notice that we focus, our focus during painful times is what I call it. In the first century, as the church began to grow, people were coming to know Jesus. These were pretty much Jewish Christians he's talking to here. But some of them had come out of slavery. Some of them were still slaves. Some of them had followed Christ. They had nothing that this world had to offer. Some may have had a, may have a, middle, in, a middle income level life, and they came to know Jesus, and some of them lost their jobs, lost everything they owned. And then on the other hand, sitting in the same congregation, you'd have some that were pretty much wealthy by the world's standards, and they might have owned part of a Roman estate of some kind. So you had all kinds of people in there representing all kinds and all walks of life. But then when you're going through a difficult time, a painful time, James gets very specific about your focus. What do you focus on? Well, the first thing you don't focus on is not on your present poverty. When you look at verse 9, let, it's a command. Do this. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. Let the brother it's a Christian we're talking about here. Let the brother of lowly, of low degree. And that word low degree or lowly, um, let the lowly brother, speaks of something that's very low to the ground. In fact, the word literally means one that does not rise far above the ground. It could mean a lot of things such as being poor or humbled or seemingly unimportant. It refers to lack of money, lack of fame, lack of power. In other words, you're not on the celebrity list. When all the gifts were handed out, you weren't there. And people like that begin to say, well, I'm, I'm a nothing. I'm a nobody. I don't mean anything to God. And there are potential dangers to being poor. Now, before you say, well, I'm in the poor section. I hate to tell you this. You're really not. I'll remind you of something. If you have a job that pays you for what you do, and if you have a house to take, protect you from the elements at night, you can go inside to sleep. If you have a, any form of transportation, including a bicycle, if you can eat three times at home, and I'll count peanut butter and crackers, and if you have enough clothing to protect you from the elements, you're in the top 1% of the world. None of us are poor. Sometimes we think we are, and sometimes things may be tight. I'm not saying things don't get tight financially, but there's potential dangers because we can become so obsessed with trying to make more. Some people get bitter. Some get discontented. They're, they're worried. They're afraid. They're, they, they, they feel the pressure. I've got to keep up. 
And then if that's not bad enough, sometimes your children, if you don't have enough money to buy them the name brand stuff, they'll come say, well, why can't I have this that's got a certain emblem on it or whatever, a certain slogan? We know what it's like to have hard times. Your hard times may not have anything to do with finances, but a lot of times financial problems exacerbate other problems. They create other things. So James says, don't focus on that. Focus on your privileged position. Bragging times, what I call it. Now, we just sang that song, the, the, the Father, How Great the Father's Love, and we sang, I will boast in nothing else except Jesus Christ. Not in my gifts, not in my abilities. I will boast in Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying here. Let the lowly brother glory, boast, bragging time. On what? His exaltation. High position. That word literally means height. So to paraphrase this, James basically says, let the brother who is low rejoice that he is high. Exaltation means our high position. It speaks of our salvation. Do you realize what you have? Amen. 2 Corinthians 6.10, Paul said, having nothing yet possessing all things. 1 Corinthians 1.30, but of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory, brag in the Lord. Now, you got a lot to brag about from yesterday, don't you? At least until next Saturday. And maybe you can brag after that again. I hope you can. But when we brag, we need to brag on Jesus. Have you ever asked or, or, or said this, I wonder what he or she is worth? Now, what you're talking about is their finances. I wonder what they're worth. But I want to tell you something. Your worth is not dependent on how much money you have. And your worth is not dependent on what neighborhood you live in. And your worth is not dependent upon how much fame you have or power or prestige or gifts or whatever. Your worth is based on your salvation only in Jesus Christ. Seems like a strange statement, but James is teaching that true wealth is judged by your spiritual standing. You have a position in the family, the family of God. God rescued you. He saved you. He adopted you. He's put you in his family. You are a part of the family of God. You have a position. You also have a position in the future. You have a future. You're going to heaven when you die. Some of you aren't very excited about that. And I understand why. Two reasons. God put in us the desire to live, and we live in Texas. Right? And some of you think heaven is sitting in church for eternity. Some of you already think I've been preaching for an eternity, and I just got started. <laughs> Folks, I want to tell you something. You're not going to be some little fat cherub angel sitting on a cloud strumming a harp. Heaven is a place. It's a new heaven and a new earth, and it has not been touched by sin. 
nothing that's cursed this world is there. I can't imagine a tree with 12 kinds of fruit on it. I've not seen a tree like that. There's variety there. The gates are never closed in the New Jerusalem. I don't know if that means we're going to be going out in the end to do stuff. Who knows? This whole universe, I don't believe God's got wasted space. You're going to have a body like Jesus so you can materialize and dematerialize and walk through stuff. and It's going to be a fun place. You should remember who you are. You have a position. You have a position in a family. You've got a future. You have an inheritance that's waiting on you that the thief can't steal and the moth can't eat it and the rust can't destroy it. You remember Jesus' story about the widow's might, we call it. The disciples and Jesus were watching people come by and put money in the temple coffers. And a lot of rich people dropped a lot of expensive things and large sums of money, but a poor widow came along and she put in really what was less than a couple of pennies in our economy. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more in the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything all she, excuse me, had to live on Matthew 12, excuse me, Mark 12, 43 and 44. By appearances, this widow didn't have anything. But God looked at her heart, and as far as Jesus was concerned, she was in a high position, had nothing to do with earthly wealth. A poor man who is wise in the Lord knows that in reality he is rich. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. They were interviewing a lady in the mountains who was living in basically not much more than a shack, a small run-down house surrounded by very little of what the world considers important. But during the interview, she said these words, you know, I've been broke a lot in my life, but I've never been poor because she knew Jesus. We look past the present time and look to the future. God has given us what we need, and God will take care of us. Even in the parable of the sower, Jesus said the soil, the uh, gospel fell on thorny ground, which went, it sprang up quickly, but then listen to his commentary in Mark 4:19. But the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entered in, choked the word, and it became un fruitful. Take pride in your low position. That's kind of an oxymoron or a paradox, but what are, you, what are you proud? What are you boast about? You glory in God's love for you. You glory in Christ dying for you. You glory in the Holy Spirit indwelling you. You remember who you are. Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount said, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. What, me? You must be mistaken. No, Jesus said, no, you. You're, you're my followers. You are somebody. You focus on your privileged position. Privileged not because you deserved it, not because you earned it, because God gave it to you. Has exalted you to be one of his children. Now, the flip side of that, 
What's the focus during plentiful times? When you've got more than you need, when you've you got material possessions, when you've got enough to pay the bills, maybe you've got a little extra. You're also to glory. You're also to brag. But in your humiliation, <laughs> that sounds weird, doesn't it? Humiliate, you know, when you humiliate somebody, you're probably you know, embarrassing them or putting them down. But here's the deal. A poor man's tempted to doubt God because he has so little, but a rich man's tempted to desert God because he has so much. We take our eyes off God. You try to stay humble. Staying humble as a person who's going through the best of times, that's hard. You probably haven't learned much going through the best of times. You've learned and matured going through the difficult times, the, the worst of times. There's an old proverb that says, if you own your money, you are wise. But if your money owns you, you are a fool. Now, you need to understand, he's writing to Jewish Christians, brand new ones. And among the Jews, there was a problem that was prevalent concerning their concept of wealth. They believed that material wealth was a sign of God's favor. And in practical terms, they considered that the more money you have, the more God must love you. They had a proverb that said, God loves the poor, but he helps the rich. Now, I want you to know that's still prevalent today. Just turn on the television and watch one of these health and wealth nuts that was a little harsh, but they still are. <laughs> Tell you, you know what? If you just have enough faith, God wants you to be wealthy. He wants you to be wealthy. Why? Why would God want you to be wealthy on something that's going to disappear anyway? In fact, I'm pretty sure I'm right when he said, make sure your treasures are eternal, not transient. Well, this began to filter in the church, and the rich were often shown preferential treatment. They would get the best seats in the house. They would ask to be served on boards, and they would ask to do this. And when they spoke, people listened. They were VIPs. I heard about an old man who had won a million dollars in a sweepstakes, but the family didn't know how to tell him because he had a heart condition, and they were afraid he'd have a heart attack. So they asked the pastor to go break it to him gently. Pastor went up on his porch. He's sitting there in a rocking chair, smoking a pipe, and sat down and conversed with him for a while. And finally, he got around to ask him. He said, hey, I want to ask you a question. If someone told you that you had just won a million dollars in a sweepstakes, what would you do? He said, preacher, that's easy. I'd give it all to the church. The preacher had a heart attack. <laughs> Did you know your level of happiness does not increase when your wealth increases? Surveys will show, they did surveys where people were asked, would you be happier if you had 20% more money? And consistently they said, yes, I'd be happier. But go ask someone who makes 20% more than then how happy they are. 
and they're no happier than the people who make 20% less. And it's true all the way up the income scale. From the very poor to multimillionaires, no one's ever happy enough because it just is empty. I remember as a young pastor, my first church as a pastor, now, I had been a youth and youth music guy in a couple of churches, but, but my ch- first church as a pastor was in First Baptist Church of Strong, Arkansas. It's so deep in the South Arkansas woods, they pump daylight in there. Redneckville. I remember watching on television after a tornado hit a close community, and one lady's house was destroyed. And I'll never forget what she said. She was right there on television, and she said, everything my husband and I were living for was in that house. Now, her family was safe, no children harm. Everything my husband and I were living for was in that house. That's a sad commentary. What are you living for? You know, we're taught in this society that the more stuff you have, the more clothes, the certain neighborhoods and so forth, your profession, your cars or whatever. But we know it's not what you have, it's who you know. It's who owns you. So don't focus on all of your... The focus during the plentiful times is to focus on the Lord instead of, well, I got it backwards here. You're not on your passing possessions, but you focus on the priceless possession that you have in Jesus Christ. Go ahead and put it up on number B after you get, let them fill that out. Bowing times, what I call it. You glory in that you've been made low. That's, that sounds so strange. You glory in your humiliation. The rich man had better understand that the riches, no matter what you call it, are going to pass away like the flower in a field. If you put your trust in your prestige, you put your trust in your position, you put your trust in your possessions or your power, you're trusting a mirage. It's going to go away. I read about a general who was sitting at a table in a royal court. He was seated next to the court chaplain. And during the meal, the general turned to the chaplain and said, Pastor, can you tell me something about heaven that would really impress me? And he said, yes, when you get to heaven, you're not going to be a general. We're all going to be there saved by the grace of God. All sinners saved by grace and mercy of God. Humiliation. Sometimes we have to be humbled. True story. A lady was visiting China. And on that trip, she bought a medallion. And she loved this medallion so well because it was ornate and pretty. And she almost wore it every day. It became like a good luck charm to her. And it was bizarre and striking in appearance. One night at a diplomatic dinner in Washington, she met the Chinese ambassador. And the Chinese ambassador saw this medallion on her and had a slight smile but looked away, and she noticed, and she said, can you tell me what this says? Would you be so kind as to translate the inscription on this? He said, no, ma'am, I'm not going to. And she insisted, please tell me what it says. He said, okay. It says, licensed prostitute, city of Shanghai. (laughs) 
Here she'd been wearing that around all the time. Our attitude toward material things has been shattered. We know that all this worldly stuff we have is going to be gone. The rich are humbled. Why? Because riches are temporary. <laughs> They're becoming more and more temporary, aren't they? James 1.10 talks about it. But listen to the richest man in the world, Solomon. Proverbs 23, 4, do not overwork to be rich because of your own understanding. Stop. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches are certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. You can't use riches to redeem anyone. Psalm 49, you read that. You can't use your wealth to buy anybody's salvation. You can't buy salvation. And riches are unable to bring happiness, and they also bring, they're a source of self-inflicted injuries. Listen to 1 Timothy 6, 9. But those who desire to be rich, it doesn't say they're rich, they desire to be, fall into temptation and a snare into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. There's a true story um, this, from the, some of the survivors of the Titanic. One lady was in a lifeboat that was about to be left, let down in the water off of the sinking Titanic, and she asked, there's something in the room I really need. Can I go get it? And they said, you've got three minutes. If you're not back in three minutes, we're going to lower this lifeboat. She ran through the Titanic. It was already sloping. The, the, the slope was pretty steep. She ran through the gambling room. There was money laying all over the place. She ran through all that. She ran to her room, digging through all of her jewels and all that. She reached back in the closet and pulled out three oranges and ran back to the lifeboat. It's amazing. Life or death, none of that money mattered, none of those diamonds, none of those jewels, none of that gold. She knew what she needed to stay alive in that boat. You and I need to learn to rejoice in the things we cannot lose. Money can be lost. Looks fade, don't they? Amen? Trust me, I'm looking at you. Trust me on this. <laughs> and you're looking at me. You know I'm telling the truth. Circumstances can change for the worse. Jesus said in Luke 12, 15, one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. And then he tells the account of the rich fool who was so wealthy, he tore down the barns and built bigger ones and put all of more stuff. And then that night he died. It's a miracle when affluent people come to Christ. And let me remind you, all of us in here are affluent. So don't think, well, I'm not a multimillionaire, so I'm not rich. Oh, yes, you are. I've already established that fact. You're in the top 1% of the world. But affluent people have a tendency not to look toward God. And we're also to focus on our priorities. 
earthly or eternal. Look at verse 10. But the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man will also fade away in his pursuits. We can understand this analogy in Israel. Rains would come, the grass would spring up quickly, but then it'd stop raining. And then the southeast winds would blow across the desert like a hot gun, and it would just scorch the, 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 flower, scorch the grass, and the, and the blooms would fall off of the flowers. And our lives are like that. We're here for just a short time. Can you believe how old you are? No, really. Do you ever think you'd be this old? And I know that, relatively speaking, age is a matter of mind, but but you know what? You don't know how old you are because you don't know when you're going to die. I'm almost 67 years old. If I'm going to die when I'm 70, I'm ain't old. I don't know when I'm going to die. I don't know how old I am. But I do know this, that that all the stuff I have, I can't trust it. Bank accounts, health, fame, whatever it might be, you can't trust it. And it's amazing to me how many people give up so much by the wrong of priorities, by trying to gain so much that doesn't matter here on this earth. I'm going to speak in generalities. I don't have anybody in particular in mind. But isn't it amazing how people will try to build the biggest house they can, and then both husband and wife both work 50 hours a week plus an extra job just to pay the mortgage, and they're never in the house that they built? Or they're never at home to raise their kids priorities. Earthly, if you have earthly priorities, I hate to tell you this, you're going to lose all that. But if you have eternal priorities, you'll have treasure that won't be lost. I don't know if it's true or not. I read about a man who wanted to be buried in his Cadillac. Convertible. He wanted the speedometer up on 100, and he wanted to be sitting in the front seat. So they dug a hole big enough to put that Cadillac in, and he's sitting in the front seat, and the speedometer's on 100. And as they're lowering it down in the hole, one of his friends says, man, that's really living. (laughs) You take a quick glance at all that you have, you're going to see how surface it is. You may think, I just need more, but I want to tell you something. It says all of this is going to fade away. Now, it doesn't mean you're not responsible. It doesn't mean that you don't pay your bills and so forth. And there's nothing wrong with trying to do the best you can, but it's all back in the wisdom part. The wisdom is, I'm not going to set my life on my circumstances and on my poverty or my wealth or whatever, I'm going to remember who I belong to and that through life, I'm going to keep my eye on him. If I don't have a lot on this earth, I'm still going to rejoice that I'm a born again, forgiven sinner. If I'm wealthy, I'm going to rejoice in the fact that I still had to come to Christ like everyone else. It's amazing 
Sometimes the more we have, the more privileges we think we deserve. But I'm here to tell you, there's not but one way to go to heaven, and it's not through the church. Listen to me. It's not through the church. Don't ask the church to grant you absolution. It's not through the church. It's not through baptism. Baptism is an act of obedience to show that you've been shaped. It's, I can dunk you till you look like a prune, and it won't get you to heaven. It's not through a denomination. It's not through your good works or your good looks. It's only, only through Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one. Y'all, did y'all ever use that phrase with your kids? What part of no do you not understand? <laughs> well, I want to use it here. What part of no one do you not understand? No one comes to the Father except through me. And the good news is, I can tell you about eternal riches right now, and it's free. It's free. God paid a high price for it by becoming one of us, emptying himself of his glory, putting on an earth suit, becoming a man, living a sinless life, being tempted like we were, grieving like we have, dying on the cross painfully, feeling pain, probably unlike none of us will ever experience. But he conquered death. He took the sting out of death. He rose again. And when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, he is the one mediator between God and man. You place your faith in Him. God washes you clean of your sin, immerses you in the righteousness of Jesus so that when He looks at you, you are justified just as if I'd never sinned. You're made right with God, and you can have it right now. If you're watching online, you can have it right now. If you're watching on television, you can have it right now. What do you do? First, you've got to admit that you need to be saved. God can't save you unless you know you're lost. And you're lost if you've never received Christ. You ask God to forgive you. Why? Because Jesus died for you lived a sinless life and died for you and rose again, and you place your trust and your faith, and you say, God, I believe you. I trust you right now. I give you my life. Lord Jesus, come into my life. I give it to you. I trust you only. You do that by faith, and immediately. You may not see lightning flash across the sky. It's not by feelings. It's by faith. I believe God. You either believe God or you don't. I believe you, God. And I ask Christ to come into my life. When you're baptized, you're telling everybody what you've done. The old way of life is gone. You have a new life in Christ. It's by immersion. The word baptizo means to put under. It doesn't mean to sprinkle. It means to put under. It looks like the burial and resurrection of Christ. It looks like what's happened to you. The old way of life is gone. You have a new life in Christ. It looks like the dead in Christ will rise when Jesus returns. It's just got all kinds of symbols in it. But it's because you've been saved that you are baptized. So these people that you saw recorded last week that were baptized, 
they've given their life to Christ. And you can do that right now. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I, I pray for those that are trusting in anything but you. Some have their eyes on their circumstances, which are bad, and they're whining and complaining, and Lord, they need to keep their eyes on you. And I pray for those that have a lot, and they don't think they need you. And I pray that you will humble them to know that all of us come to you at the foot of the cross to be saved. Help us to be wise, Lord, to have our priorities right. To never glory in what we have on this earth, but to always glory and boast in you. I pray right now there's a man, woman, young person, boy, girl that knows they need to receive Jesus. That you will prompt them to come and give their life to you. Maybe they're watching online or at home, that you will save them right there. They can pray and commit their lives to you right now. I pray you'll give them courage to come.